Did you ever think you were made it? I feel I'm so close, I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate it. Now they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. I'm Patrick host of Vitamin. And today I'm sitting down with a cattle rancher that warns us about the meat you're buying. Why it matters for you to know where the meat you're buying comes from. Shad, thank you for making the time to be on Vitamin. You're welcome. Thank you. So what, what happened from uh, you going out there and giving your message and just assume some of the people that haven't heard you, uh, uh, so, on what happened? So give us an update on what's going on in your world. Well, the reason I did the video was uh, we were at working out in the field and we got a, an email alert and this email we got was from the United States Department of Agriculture and uh, it, in that email it said uh, they would be um, forming a group of people to come out and help with uh, help producers move their animals that were unable to move to a marketing system, an alternative marketing system. And I told myself right then, I'm like, well, there's not many alternative marketing systems right now, thanks to COVID. And then it went on to say these um, uh, groups of individuals uh, comprised of state veterinarians and other state officials would uh, help in the depopulation and disposal of said animals, it didn't say cattle, but said animals, if the need arose. So it kind of... Uh, set me off and I, I'm like, uh, I don't like the sound of this. It made me mad. I had just remembered two days before we imported uh, some cow or some beef from uh, Africa. And uh, I knew what the supply chain in other industries was doing. I mean, we had seen what, what they were plowing up crops across the nation, dumping milk, chickens and hogs. And uh, this, I believed this, uh, email was to prepare us for that possibility with cattle. My dad had told me about the 1930s and 1950s when they had to depopulate due to drought and disease. Now this is a whole different circumstance, but it is uh, uh, one that is coming, could come to fruition even now because the COVID has created a problem in our processing uh, facilities that these workers are afraid to come to work due to the COVID. And uh, so that's creating a bottleneck or a backlog of cattle that need to be harvested. And uh, I think right now we're, we could be close to a million head that, uh, you know, some are seven weeks out from, uh, from their original harvest date. And that's causing the backlog or the backup of meat in the system. We can't get the supply of beef through the system to the consumer. There are cattle, you know, our supply of cattle, live cattle is great. The demand is great. It's getting it through the system that is, has become a problem. And so that's what really got me frustrated. And I said, you know, we are importing beef and we are destroying our harvests at a time when people don't have jobs. And that's not the American way. It doesn't, it didn't make sense. And they were dusting off the books uh, and the protocol was there for that to start happening. And so I was just a little bit upset by that. I just off the cuff did the video. Um, I'm not a guy that usually does things like that. And it went uh, what they call viral. And, and here we sit today. I, I told my wife, I said, maybe I should take that off. I don't want to panic people. Our food supply is safe. Um, we have issues with it. 
And she said, no, the American people need to hear the truth. And um, so we have some industries out there that don't want to, you know, speak the truth. And, and that's how, how I got to you today. How, how does that affect the average person? So imagine I'm not in your world. I don't know what's going on. All I do is I either watch CNN, MSNBC, or I either watch Fox, or I get my news from social media. I'm one of those three. How am I impacted by what's going on to you? Well, you're impacted through by a uh, supply issue and a food safety issue. So what has happened down through the years is our federal government has allowed acquisition acquisitions and mergers of multinational corporations to take over our food supply system. So in the beef industry, for example, we have four companies that control 85% of the beef cattle supply chain. Okay, so there, there we are, are putting our, our eggs in one basket, so to speak. So what happened is the COVID come in, we get these sick people, and because our eggs are in one basket, we have the inability to process those animals to get to the, uh, to the consumer, right? So uh, the power those companies have uh, funnels down to the consumer. You're no longer able to get your product, number one. Number two, they, they, uh, the, the safety, they, they're importing uh, less quality, a lower quality beef into our supply and mixing it onto our, on our supply, which is increasing their profits oppressing our profits and kind of gouging the consumer. So you don't know exactly what kind of product you're getting. That's, it's a, it's a food, it does come down to a food safety issue and a liberty issue as far as I'm concerned. So Shat, based on what I'm seeing, there's four different business models here. You got the producers at the beginning, then you got processors, then distributors, then retailers, right? Yes, and there's even more to that. So you have the cow-calf uh, producer. That, that's the man who owns the cow and they have a baby calf. Is that what you do? That's what you no, do. That's okay. not what I do. Walk me so, okay. So there's the cow calf producer. Th those calves grow to a certain weight. We, they wean them off of the cow and then they go to a man who I am called a stalker operator. And so I buy that calf and I grow that calf to a certain weight. And in my part of it, I do it uh, on grass. So I grow them on grass to a certain weight, say 800 pounds, and then I sell those animals to what they call the feedlot industry. The feedlot industry uh, can be captive supply. There's all sorts of different aspects to that industry, but they grow them to uh, a certain weight and then and prepare them for harvest. And then you have the harvest uh, harvesting side of the industry, and then you go on to re uh, on up the chain to retail. So, so you said the four companies that are on 85%, whether it's Tyson Food, Cargill, JBS, National Beef, those are the four you're talking about, right? National Marfrig, yep. Okay, so those four that you're talking about, where do they fall under those processes? Are they the producers, the processors, the distributors, or the retailers? Obviously, they're, they're not. Retailers. They're the processors and distributors. They're the processors and the distributors. And mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that they're not necessarily the small business owners? They're the you know too big to fail type of models in your correct. world. Is that a pretty That's nice correct? Okay, so how do they bully you around as the small business owner? Because maybe they can afford to go through six months of bad times where a lot of folks in your world cannot. So what role do they play in making it difficult for you? Well, they have taken away all competition. So with the acquisitions and mergers over the last twenty-five or thirty years. Um, they have uh, gained more, more power and control, and that has eliminated the competition. So let's say 30 years ago, there would have been 
uh, 800 processors across the United States able to, to process and harvest this beef, uh, where now there are only four main uh, processors that harvest 85% of that chain. So what they have done is they've totally eliminated cash competition, right? And what that does is that has created their power to go network down and take control of the industry that way. Again, so how does that affect me? Because imagine the consumer is one-dimensional thinker. And here's what I mean. The consumer says, is the meat good? Is it healthy for my kids? Is it going to be cheap? Check. I'm good to go. Why should I, the consumer, be so concerned about what's going on? Because there's a concentration. So there's an oligarchy of power and control at the, at the top. Of the food at the top of the chain right and that trickles down to you so they are able to eliminate competition in the united states while bringing in cheaper lower quality uh, meat from other countries 18 other countries and they can put that on top of our meat mix it in the grind or mix it in uh you know you can go to the grocery store and you may have you may buy a cut of beef that says product of the usa but that does not mean that it is a product of the usa so basically what I'm telling you is as a consumer, you don't know what you're buying. You don't know the food safety because every country has different safety uh, inspection standards, right? Now they do have to go through um, an, a United States inspection standard, but it's not up to par as what we have inland here. So how it affects you is, is you're getting a lower quality uh, product at maybe a higher price because they, as a consumer is at a higher price, but that ability for them to import that uh, cheaper, cheaper cut of meat, uh, throw it into the American product, it oppresses our prices because there's no competition for it. So out of those 18 countries, are any one of them China? Yes. One of the 18 is China. Yes. What percentage? Just recently of made a, uh, uh, we, we made the, uh, uh, trade deal with China on this. And this was going to, this was supposed to have been started now, you know, during this COVID deal, the four main trade, uh, is Canada, Mexico, uh, New Zealand, and Australia. Now, Canada and Mexico, they had a decent relationship with, the uh, 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 the beef that was coming in until, you know, uh, the organization, which the acronym is cool C O L, which, uh, some like them, some don't like them. And then that kind of changed the game. What, what happened there politically behind closers that the average person doesn't know about? So uh, uh, mandatory country of origin labeling was implemented, I think, in 2002, somewhere around in there. And what that did was it uh, required our processors to put a uh, country of origin label on all beef. So that means you were able to differentiate your beef as a consumer in the retail store. What happened was, is Canada and Mexico uh, decided that mandatory cool violated several um, trade agreements. And so they went to the World Trade Organization and a lawsuit came about. The World Trade Organization determined that it was unfair trade practices by the United States to uh, require mandatory country of original labeling. Canada and Mexico won that lawsuit and Congress repealed uh, mandatory cool in 2015. Now, politically, who's behind cool? Who who is behind country of original, uh, original, uh, original labeling? Because to me, as a buyer, I was having lunch today with my wife and uh, Kai, and I said, "Babe, when you buy the meat, do you care where it's from?" 
He says, uh, I, uh, I don't pay attention to it, but is it important where it comes from? She says, should I be curious about it? I said, babe, I'm just asking you. We buy meat all the time. Do you ever look at the label to see where it's coming from? She said, no, I don't. But as a buyer myself, I kind of would want to know where it's coming from. I, I don't think it's a big deal to say, you know, if I'm buying a product on the bottom, it says made in China or made in, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is. I also kind of want to know where my meat is coming from. Why, why is it such a big deal where people are given a pushback of where the meat is coming from? Okay. That becomes a very complicated issue. So obviously the, the main four um, packing conglomerates or that oligarchy do not want to have to differentiate that meat. They say it's too expensive to do that, to uh, uh, differentiate it in the, in the packing plants. So those processors um, are members of the board of directors of what they, we call the National Cattlemen's Beef Association a very strong uh, cattle industry lobbying group. And so they have determined that uh, mandatory cool is bad for the consumer and bad for ca the cattle business. The organization called RCAF USA is organization full or comprised of independent producers across the United States, almost 6,000 members. And uh, they believe mandatory cool is a, is an individual right, is a liberty issue. And uh, so they're the ones that are, have been, and I'm a part of that group, and we have uh, you know, spent years and years pushing that because uh, we believe, number one, it's a liberty issue. Number two, the data shows that uh, at the prime of, you know, when Congress repealed COOL, we were in the prime of the industry. We, had, we were very prosperous at the time. And then as soon as it was repealed, uh, Everything fell out of bed and it went backwards. So, uh, but the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, they, they are uh, against mandatory country of origin labeling. Um, they uh, are uh, very pro-export, uh, very pro-packer. And uh, they kind of, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of a pay-to-play system. You know, the packers play them, pay them, sit on the board of directors, and then they get to play, the, they're required to play how the packers want. How, how, much, how much similarity is there with your world and Big Pharma? Meaning Big Pharma's got the lobbyists were the biggest lobbyists. Very similar. Very similar. Okay. Very similar. It's a power and control. It's all about money, power, and control. Lobbying power. Now, Shad, how many of you are there in America? Meaning how many people like you, cattle ranchers, how many of you are there in America? 700,000. 700,000. What, what was it before? Was it a lot more? A in lot 1979, there was uh, 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 well, about 1.2 to 1.3 million in between. We went from 1.2 to 1.3 million to 700,000 today from 1979. That's correct. What was the biggest drop off, Shad, from uh, 79 to today? Was there a single event that got, got rid of a lot of people in your world? No, it was, a, it, 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 there wasn't a single event. It's gradual. It's a gradual decline because of the lack of competition throughout the industry. And so we have these acquisitions and mergers take place, more power control, uh, and, you know, expenses go up. We're not uh, able to, to create um, any kind of competition in the marketplace and, you know, how stuff flows downhill. If there's 10 business owners that are selling their industry, meaning come get involved in my industry, one industry is real estate, one industry is technology, one industry is insurance, another industry is finance. Another industry is, you know, uh, uh, construction. Then you're standing there 
and you're selling your industry. Could you easily sell others to consider getting into your industry today? It's financially impossible. As an individual, it's financially impossible to get why, in. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? Because the overhead, it costs too much to start up. The, the, you know, it takes a lot of land. It takes a lot of overhead. And unless you, what they, the proverbial term in the beef cattle industry is, is unless you marry it or inherit it, you ain't going to have it. So, and that's one of the problems that has taken place as a result of this. Uh, you know, it's hard for family, you know, everybody's dream is to pass the family farm or ranch down. And that's, that's totally impossible now. You can't do it. You know, let's take me for example. Um, you know, my mom and dad had uh, uh, four small, nice ranches uh, paid for in the early 80s. The early 80s come on. And, um, you know, if you'll re you may not remember this, the interest rates got up there 17 to 21%. There was a fallout. We lose some land. Well, then we basically have to start over. And it's just been an issue of that uh, several times since then. And it's just, I mean, these young kids, it is impossible to get a startup. You can get some government help as a uh, first time landowner or business owner, but the, 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 um, the cost of the land, it requires a lot of land and the cost of the, the inputs are, are increasing and gaining. And it's, so it's impossible uh, without a lot of equity or cash in the bank to get a start. It's, it's nearly impossible. And therefore across America, we have seen um, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of youth not return to the family operation after, after high school or college. Because of this specific reason. Correct. So uh, based on what you know, I mean, I'm assuming you're in a community where you're with other people and you're talking to other cat cattle ranchers because you're in that world. I'm in insurance. I talk to other insurance CEOs and executives. Yes. How many of these 700,000 you think are going to be able to withstand the current challenges they're facing? That's a, that's a good question. And I would say that we could lose through this COVID situation, we could lose plus one third of those this year. You, you could lose a third. So we can go from 700,000 to 450,000 in the next uh, six, seven months. It is possible. Maybe more. Are you being asked to actually kill the cattle? Are you being asked? No. Uh, are you asking you? No, we are not being asked, and I and I pray that that we do not, not come to that. And I don't think we will in America. Uh, you know, it's a different time than it was 60, 70 years ago. Um, but you know, so to speak, they're dusting off the books, and the protocol is there if it has to take place. And and I want the public to understand it. It. Uh, we have the cleanest, safest, most humane food supply in the world, but real life takes over and real life has taken over during the COVID deal. So what has happened is with the backup or the backlog, the bottleneck of live cattle on the hoof that, that can actually move around and move um, has backed up to an enormous amount of, of numbers that is just staggering. Well, they have a lifespan that must end at, at some time. So when you're when they're in the feedlot and they're getting ready to be harvested, at the end of that, when they're ready to be harvested, there is a period of time where they can go on past uh, for a few weeks and they can get by. But there will come a time that those those cattle 
uh, have to have to meet in the supply chain. I mean, it, it's it's an ugly real life issue that uh, has to take place. So we are not uh, euthanizing cattle at this point, and I don't think we will. The president put in a, an executive order that was outstanding and required those supply chains to be running. Um, so we'll see what happens from there, right? Shad, how many employees do you have working for you right now? How many what? How many total employees did you have pre-COVID? Zero. Oh, pre, pre-COVID. Zero. I'm oh. on my own. I, it is me and my widowed mother. We run our operation between Texas and Colorado. She stays on the ranch in Colorado. I'm down here. Um, and I have a one older sister that has uh, retired from her job and moved home. She's never been married. And uh, she's kind of helping with my mom now as my mom is aging and getting elderly. And uh, so she helps up there, but we don't have any employees. What are your long-term plans? What you see what's going on right now, what are you thinking? When you and your mom are having conversations, what are you thinking? You seem like you're young. You seem in your uh, late 30s, early 40s. What are your plans? That's a great question, Patrick. We, you know, if this was the year 2014, I would say the future is, is in our hands, right? We're, we're going to be able to get some of this through. We're going to start being able to uh, uh, buy a little bit more land. We're, we were debt free. All of that came to fruition. And then um, with the uh, Congress taking mandatory country of original labeling away, and there was a flood of cattle on the market due to a, a drought, um, the prices just collapsed. And to be honest, we have not made any money since 2014 on cattle. And so I don't know what our future holds, to be honest with you. I, uh, you know, I own a little bit of land. My mom owns the, uh, you know, a good portion of land. She doesn't have any cash in the bank. The land is her cash. We have equity in the land. Uh, you know, her and my dad started in 1959 and put this all together. They started from the ground up and they want to pass that legacy on to their kids. And I, I, I have warned, I, I have four, three sisters and I have warned my sisters. I said, you know, she has no cash. We're not making money. Uh, we've pulled a rabbit out of the hat to get by the last four years. Um, it is a possibility that we could have to sell the land uh, for, you know, if she was to have to go to the nursing home or something like that. So you've actually considered that. You actually had that conversation with your three sisters. We are having it more and more every day. Uh, it's just a tough industry to be in. And if you're not profitable, you, it's not good. Be, I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're spending, let's say we're spending $1,200 a head to make $900 a head. That's terrible business. Uh, we love the life. We love the legacy. Um, but at some point you have to draw the line and say, okay, are we going to be business people? And are we, are we going to lose everything we've put together um, over the last 60 years and uh, go from there? Uh, I don't know. I think you have to be a business person. You have to be smart and you have to be real. You know, they don't see legacy. They don't see family. They don't see tradition. They don't see any of that stuff. They don't know the stories you have with your pops and the lessons you're going to pass down to your four-year-old son. They just see profit margin. That's all they see. That's right. And, uh, That's right. Well, one thing RCAF USA did in April 2019 is we filed an antitrust lawsuit against those four main packers. It was historic in nature. And right now we're in the uh, motion to dismiss, they're in the motion to dismiss phase of that lawsuit. But if that lawsuit goes through, that will be historic 
uh, in terms of the industry and it could change the industry by itself. Uh, we are, you know, clamoring and hollering and, but you know, there's two factions in our industry. There's the independent producer and then there's the globalist. And those two factions are fighting right now for what's better for our industry. Sonny Perdue, our secretary of agriculture, head of the United States department of agriculture has done more harm to the agricultural industry as a whole than any other secretary of agriculture in the history of our nation. We have lost over 50% of our net farm income under his watch. He's a globalist and we're working hard to get President Trump's ear. I mean, we're, we're every day we got letters, letters, letters. We're calling, calling. We have people on our side. And after my video, I'll tell you, I think the video changed a little bit of the mindset of the American uh, consumer. They, they now see, they depend on others for their supply, right? Their food supply. Supply. And I think now with the COVID deal and the backlog of pro product across the nation, they see that they need to take more responsibility in it. And I think it's a great thing. Do you have kids? Yes, I have one stepdaughter, Lindsay, and I have a four-year-old little boy. Any plans of one day wanting to pass this down to your stepdaughter and your son? Absolutely. That's the goal. You know, we, we, that is every rancher's dream is to be able to pass these uh, this business and this lifestyle. It's a tradition. It's something that we love. It brings a lot of hardship, but it brings a lot of love to the heart too. You know, there's a lot of rewarding experiences in this life, and it, and it's more. It's it's. I shouldn't say it's not about the money because we have to be able to feed the world at a profit. We can't do it at a loss. And uh, in order to you know send that dream on down the road we have to be successful and you know we do want to uh want it as our legacy that's what it's all about is your legacy we're proud to be multi-generational operators but uh, at this point it's not looking like it and i'm telling you why why did why would i want my son to go through a life of misery because you know as i'm a very competitive person we're very competitive people but at some point you have to have a win and uh, wins are coming so few and far between because remember, the cattle producers are not just at the mercies of the market and the corruption. They're at the mercies of the weather. They're at the mercies of, of drought and uh, floods and blizzards. You know, uh, take for example, those producers up in Nebraska and South Dakota uh, in, the, in the winter of 2018-19 went through blizzard after blizzard. They lost a million head of cattle. Well, when you're losing your livelihood and then they gut punch you with market collapses, um, it's hard to take. So, you know, the future, I, I believe the future is, is positive. I want to believe it is positive, but, you know, the, rea the, real the reality is, is there's not a great future for independent producers across the country. Shad, how much of your fondest memories of you and your father has to do with you guys working together on the ranch? All of them. I'm going to write a book about it. All I, of them. I, you know, I, I've been here, uh, I'm 46 years old. I went to college for four years and that's the only time I was ever away. We, us, uh, we were a little different. My mom and dad were putting all of this together, took some hard hits in the eighties, uh, again in 1990 kind of set us back. We recovered from those, but, uh, me and my siblings, we were all a part of this. Uh, we helped build this and my dad's dream god bless him was to was to allow us to capture some of this 
uh, pride, you know, some of this success. So uh, yeah, all of my memories. I mean, he taught me everything I know. We went through good and bad. Uh, we, you know, I, that I could tell you so many stories that make your head swim, right? That's, uh, uh, that's the beautiful part about legacy business. You know, when you get to work with your dad and you share those stories with your son and one day your four-year-old son runs this and your father essentially is living through, you know, experiencing you it through your, his grandson. So, you know, a couple of questions on the complete opposite side. Some may say, the consumer may say, you know, the price of beef went down from 416 in 2015 to 378 today, which is a 10% drop off, right? And remember, the consumer is very one dimensional. The consumer doesn't go to the stories. The consumer doesn't remember what you and your father did. The consumer is thinking about if I can send 10 cents or 10%, I'll go to Target over Walmart. I don't care who's getting my business. I just need to save my money. But you guys lost 40% during that period. So again, mm -hmm. the price went down 10%, but your business margins went down 40%. Correct. I guess the question becomes the following. Why should the consumer be concerned about you losing 30% to want to buy the product from you versus going and saving that 10% that they're going to get themselves? Because if as an individual producer, I go to out of business, that makes them rely upon the multinational corporations to provide their their food supply not just beef but their food supply all around and we know what they've already done is uh, lower the quality of beef uh, coming into the country being imported into the country and the consumer doesn't know uh, where, where that uh, food safety issue lies they need to have the choice to do that and if I'm gone as an individual producer Who's, who fills my shoes now in, in this time and age? Nobody. Nobody. Only multinational corporations, the conglomerates, the control. Why should the consumer care? Because it's a food safety issue. Okay. So that's where I'm going. Okay. So if it's a food safety issue, uh, 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 if it's a food safety issue, you're saying buying meat from outside of the United States is not as safe as buying the meat that's uh, made in the United States. I would say that as a personal human being, absolutely. We have the highest quality beef supply, the safest beef supply. We've, we've spent the last 150 years improving our herds. We have the best beef available on the planet. We want that to be differentiated from those people who have not worked so hard to be, uh, to be in the U.S. market. You know, USA beef is the best product in the world. There's no, there's no other uh, product that is comparable. We have the safest and the, uh, the highest quality beef in the world. And I, I hope the consumers realize that and I hope they choose that and will pay a little bit more money to local people to do that. I'm uh, for the small business owner, but I also know, you know, Tyson, JBS, all these guys are going to come out. I mean, you even heard JBS was trying to buy national beef back in 09. And that would have been a whole big monopoly. And JB is a Brazilian-based company, which makes no sense for a company. Well, let's talk about that, Patrick, because JBS and National Marfrig are both Brazilian-owned. JBS is both owned by the Batista family. Josley and Wesley are the two brothers that are heads of that uh, uh, corporation. And those people, those brothers just got out of prison in Brazil for uh, fraud and um, – unfair uh, market or trade practices in their country. They just got out of prison. Both of those boys spent a, years, a year in prison uh, for fraud. They, in 2017, JBS sent, uh, we were importing uh, Brazilian beef. They sent uh, 
not us. It, they sent it all over the world. Uh, rotten meat. They got caught in that scandal. It is a food safety issue uh, like no other. And when you have two, I mean, we're selling our souls to other countries. We're depending on other countries. Uh, same way with China. Everybody's talking this week about all of their medical supplies com coming from China, right? Nobody knew that. I didn't know that. Uh, I tell you, I, I'm on a weekly regimen of chemotherapy and have been for a year and a half. Uh, we don't, I don't know where that comes from. I never thought about it, right? So now we have all these people don't know where their food supply is coming from. And it's all a safety issue, right? I mean, when two of our four main beef packers are Brazilian owned, foreign owned, and they have that much power and they've been caught in these fraudulent cases in their own countries, what do you think they're doing in the United States, right? They don't care about the American consumer. And I'm not against the American dream. I love this, the, the guy that starts out small, gets big and grows big. I think it's, I think that's awesome. But this isn't that. This is this is a, a corruption. And when people say, Shad, what would you do to change the industry? I start at the top and I say, we got to end corruption. We have to uh, um, we have to enforce the Packers and Stockyards Act of 1921, which guaranteed a level playing field for, for the producer clear to the packer. We have to enforce antitrust laws that we have on the books that keep these acquisitions and murders from happening. We have these laws. Why aren't they being implemented? Why is the federal government allowing the acquisitions and mergers to gain control? Because it's a part of a globalist uh, economy, a global economy. And I'm fine with a global economy, but it's got to be fair for the producer. It's got to be fair for the ind independent producer of the United States. Any producer, whether you're producing rocking chairs or, or cows, right? The American dream is about private property rights. Without your ability to own private property rights, or to own private property, whether it's land or a, a business in town, you don't have the ability to be a part of a free market system, a capitalistic system. And these are all private property rights that are being taken away from us day by day. How? How are the houses? Well, well, let's 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 take uh, for example. There's uh, in production agriculture. There's these new measures called the global roundtables. And let's take the, the specific one that I know deeply about is called the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And what that is, is that is, was created by the United Nations. It, they in, uh, implemented this control mechanism called the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. They implemented it across the world through the World Wildlife Fund. The World Wildlife Fund is an uh, environmental organization that does not believe in private property rights. They're, they're a very enormously money-driven uh, organization that wants to take you off, off your land. So they have implemented this deal called the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, and it controls production standards from top to bottom. So what it does is they, they come in at the top of the chain, the supply chain and they say okay you're going to produce this 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 at this cost you're, you're going to uh, implement these production standards you're going to do this to your cattle you're going to do this to your land they're going to have third parties that come in and audit it and that and then and so then they have you captured and it creates bottleneck and if you don't get on, on board you you are not allowed to play in the market and that has already come to fruition in brazil under the global roundtable for sustainable soy in 2016, uh, they implemented that, and a, and a whole host, and I won't say how many, 
of those uh, Brazilian soybean farmers declined to be a part of the global roundtables for sustainable soy. They were kicked out of the market and many of them committed suicide. These are control communistic methods uh, that have you uh, embrace you by the neck. They take you by the neck and you are going to adhere to their production standards from top to bottom uh, or you're not going to be in the system. So question for you. There are three organizations, it seems like, in your world. I don't know if you can see it or not. WTO, COOL, and USDA, right? USDA is, uh, and you got COOL, which is the country of origin uh, 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 of uh, uh, labeling. Those cool, is, cool is not cool is not an organization. Uh, cool it means country of origin labeling. That so is not an organization at all. It's just no. a yeah, correct. Okay, so is you have the USDA and the World Trade Organization, correct? Can you give us in another industry like World Trade Organization? I get it. So World Trade Organization, fine. We kind of know who to compare them to. World Health Organization, WTO, WHO. I think they're pretty. Uh, ran in a similar way, right? Let's put those right. guys aside. Right. Who is USDA in another industry? If you were to say USDA in a different industry is such and such, such and such organization, so we can kind of have a parallel. Well, the USDA is is head over the agriculture industry, right? It's the government. Uh, is that like SEC? SEC for financial? Correct. Industry? That's correct. And are, are they politically driven or not at all? Well, they're not supposed to be politically driven, but uh, the fruits of their labor has showed that they are a bit politically driven. Um, you know, we have we have screamed and yelled for mandatory country of origin labeling, and they have gone against us. Uh, we have screamed and yelled on August 19th, 2019, there was a, a fire in a packing facility, a Tyson meat packing plant in uh, Southwest Kansas. It decimated our markets overnight, overnight. We were in trouble. Uh, we asked the USDA and Sonny Perdue, who is the director, you know, secretary of agriculture to investigate that price collapse due to that fire. One fire in one plant decimated our prices in one night, overnight. And we asked for those investigations to take place. And until we, the ind independent producers, put pressure on Sonny Perdue, the Secretary of Agriculture, and the United States Department of Agriculture, nothing happened. There was no action. They are now, now because so many people have spoke up, they are now uh, supposedly in an investigation, but it's been nine months and we have not heard one thing about that investigation, where it stands or anything. Largest contributor to World Trade Organization is USA, what we give the most. First place with 11%. Second is China with 9%. How, how much similarities is there with WTO and w, you know, World Health Organization with China trying to also control some of the decision-making to get more business funneled from China coming into U.S.? I don't know. I can't answer that question. All right. that, that, I was just curious to know if there's any kind of a, a, a political move being made uh, there on that side. So... You go out to dinner this Friday night. Let's just say the market opens up, restaurants open up. You go to dinner. You're ordering steak. What kind of steak are you ordering? I'm ordering a filet mignon or a ribeye. And do you ask specifically about the meat and the quality of the meat? I ask specifically what country it originates in. And most of the time, they cannot tell me. You're being serious? Yes. Wow. And if they can't tell you, what do they say? They say, I don't know. <laughs> 
most of those good cuts, hopefully, are you know. Let's let's take for example, uh, you go to a high end steakhouse in Fort Worth. Those that, that's going to be American beef. I mean, that's there's probably no question to that. But then if you get down into the chain steakhouses, um, there might be a question to it. I'm hopeful that that is all um, uh, American beef, and I think it is. But then when you go, let's say you're ordering a hamburger from McDonald's. Uh, likely it's not, it's not American beef. You're not in, let's just say you're not in your world. You're just an advisor to people that want to eat healthy, healthy. Yes. You want to educate them to ask the right questions. What questions should we be asking as consumers? Well, I think the consumer is, uh, if the consumer's going into a grocery store or a steakhouse, I think the first thing they should ask is, where does my meat come from? Where does this beef come from? I think that is so important because it creates liberty in, for the consumer. People often say, uh, we don't want the government getting in on our beef industry. Okay. Well, we are already taxed $1 per head. Every time we sell an animal, we have to give the government $1 okay, per head. Um, we have uh, requirements. They're trying to implement what they call the radio frequency identification system into the beef industry. That's government involvement. But the difference is, is mandatory cool becomes a liberty issue because it's a law that provides uh, freedom and liberty to the consumer to make a choice. That we, We've created law from the beginning of our country to enable the consumer to have choice, right? So that's, that's a good law. But these other laws that they want to implement, such as the beef checkoff is the $1 tax. That's taxation without representation as far as I'm concerned. Radio frequency identification tags in these cattle, what that is is a chip that goes into the cow. They want to know about it from birth to plate. Um, that, that, that actually inhibits liberty and freedom to the producer because it's a private property rights issue, right? So uh, they, they want to know everything you're doing. Well, in America, we're supposed to be able to produce how we see fit and, uh, and let the consumer take that choice out, move that choice down the chain. Very, very interesting. So uh, last question here before I go to a comparison I'll make and then we'll wrap up is say you leave the business. Let's say you leave the business. You're not in the business anymore. And there's a couple hundred thousand other people that also leave the business. Where do they go to? What do they do next? I don't know. You seriously don't know? No. A guy like me, um, I can get a job somewhere. You know, it's not the job you're going to want, but we have to do things we don't want to do because we have to put food on the table for our family. And most people are like that. But what will happen is there will be a takeover of our industry. The property will become under ownership. Uh, you know, some of these guys might not lose all this property, but the ability to produce on it is lost because it's unaffordable. So what happens is the oligarchy takes over the industry uh, down the supply chain and then a lot of these producers will become, excuse me, will become serfs to the oligarchy. And I think that's where we're headed. You're out of the industry. You're speaking at a conference. There's 10,000 people at this event. They hired you to tell them what to do for them to separate themselves from their competitors to make it in your industry. Okay. Again, you're a consultant. You're no longer Shad Solomon, the American cattle rancher. You have decided to go be a consultant for your industry. Okay, and you're talking to a convention with 10,000 of these guys that do what you do. And they're asking you, Shad, how do I differentiate myself against my competitors right now?
to have an upper advantage? What would you tell them? Mm. Well, I go back to what my mom and dad taught me. And that was to work hard and never give up. That's what I tell them because it's all about work. We work hard every single day. We take the good with the bad. I can remember my dad telling me, uh, Shad, you got to take the good with the bad. And uh, that's what I, I, I mean. I asked that question because you're saying spend $1,200 to make $900. That's not a business model. No, that's not a business model. So how do you, I'm a guy that's spending $1,200 and making $900. What do you tell me? Shad, you can't tell me work hard. I come from a family. We all worked hard. What the hell? Do you do? So, what would you tell me? So, so then guess what happens? You have to make choices. You have to, you know, think outside of the box. There's a lot of people in this industry that have great minds. But mo I'll tell you what, a lot of this industry are two, are two income families. I mean, the, the wife has had to go to work in town um, to pay the, just to pay the bills. But you see, we're losing so much money now. Used to, that would work a little bit. But we're losing so much equity now that, that even with the second off-farm job, it's not working. So what I tell people, I would tell people, I say, you got to work, you got to have faith, and you never give up. You never give up. Uh, there are smart people in this industry, incredibly smart people. They're innovative. That's why we have the best product in the world. It's these people are innovative, uh, but not everybody can produce the same, right? Everybody's going to produce different. Everybody's going to have a different idea. So uh, my dad always said, if it if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. You know, if it's working, keep doing it. And we've been at the, we've been at the exact same operation uh, for the last 40, 50 years and haven't changed. But it, it, it worked up until two, 2015 and it didn't. So I don't know. We're going to keep we're going to keep working hard. We're going to have faith in God and we're not going to give up because that's what he asks us to do. You know, you know what it reminds me of? Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of when Walmart first came out in 1962 and a half with Target and Costco and all these Kmart. It was the Super Savings Center, 1962 and a half. And Walmart started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And a lot of the local small mom and pop shop in a small city, you know, that no one knows about. Walmart came in and they're selling milk for a price and Walmart's got a 20% cheaper. And family started saying, honey, why are we going to mom and shop? Instead of going to Bob's spot, let's go to Walmart. You know, this is a lot cheaper place. Is it similar to what Walmart did to a lot of mom and pop shops and put them out of business? It's the same thing. It's the absolute, and you have to remember, 80% uh, of rural America is, uh, is a no stoplight town, right? These cities, these rural towns, the flower shop depends on the farmer and rancher. The tire store depends on the farmer and rancher. The school especially depends on the farmer and rancher. And when these people leave this, leave production, those things in, the grocery store ends, everything ends in those small towns. And that's why it's so important that we get competition back in our business. Who's the Amazon of your world? Who's the Amazon? Not the Walmart. Who's the Amazon of your world? Uh, I'm not sure there is an Amazon of our world. Maybe there's an idea right there. You know, maybe there's an idea right there. I don't know. If you're talking about there's a lot of innovative guys and you got to figure out a way to pivot, maybe I'm changing my business model and seeing because when Walmart was bullying everybody and nobody thought anybody could go after them, then came a guy named Jeff who said, hey, I'm going to come after you in a different way. And he did. And now... Amazon is scaring the hell out of Walmart, but Walmart has a pivot to compete with Amazon. So I just think there's an opportunity for someone like this to decide to pivot and go in different. I'm not in your world to give you counsel. I'm just curious no, right. where you were going to go with that. Chad, uh, we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for spending 30 minutes here with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. And 
Uh, I just wish everybody would go to US, uh, demandusabeef.com, sign the petition to enforce mandatory country of origin labeling. I'd like to tell, tell your listeners, uh, since my video, I've had hundreds of thousands of messages asking, where can we get our beef on a local level? Well, uh, RCAF USA has come up with a uh, website called usabeef.org, and you can go there, and it will commingle you with producers all across the nation. There's 350 producers from 40 states. You can get it there. Uh, and to learn more about mandatory country of origin, go to labelourbeef.com, and you can learn more about it there. Shout yeah, out once again. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid-David. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.